Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. The New Testament book of Romans, particularly from chapter 12. Uh, We spoke about the fact that Romans was um, written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, It's a wide-ranging book that covers um, so much of what we believe as Jesus followers, but not just what we believe in terms of uh, like our theology and what, we, what it tells us about God, what it tells us about us, but it also speaks a lot about, particularly in the last third of the book, a lot about how do we practically live with people? How do, how do we apply this belief system that we have when it comes to interacting with other human beings? Because people, I'm sure you have found, can be challenging, can be disappointing, and sometimes even they can be frustrating. And we're just talking about the people that live with you. Like, you know, you know sometimes it can be like that. But also, don't forget, they can also be encouraging. They can also be an incredible gift to our lives, they can be merciful and they can and they can encourage us in so many so many different ways. So so last week, just a quick recap. Um, I asked two questions uh, when it came to this Romans twelve. Uh, so I asked, you know, do you sorry, do people serve your goal, or do you make serving people your goal? That, that was the first question that we wrestled with. The second one was, does your attitude to serving God? Does it energize you or drain you? Now, when, when we serve God, of course, there's always this part where it does, where it does drain us because it takes something out of us. You know, we, we, we don't live in like unicorn fairyland where, you know, when we serve Jesus and we always feel better and we always have so much better sleep and we're just, you know, bouncing off the walls. No, 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 that's, that, that's not reality. Serving God just does cost us something. Of course it does. But does our attitude towards serving God, because that's what we can be responsible for. Does it encourage us? Does it energize us? Or does it drain us? Oh, this again. Oh, this. Oh, I better turn up. You know, it, it, it leads to a life where we serve God out of duty, and that's not what God has called us to. So if you missed last week, you can listen back via our podcast. The links are on our social media and all that sort of thing. But let's read our Romans 12 together. So this is Romans 12, 9 through to 21. It'll be on the screen behind me. Uh, Paul says this, Let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honour. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no, uh, sorry, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honourable in the sight of all. If possible, So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome, uh, sorry, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil 
with, uh, with good. Today, I want to uh, bring our attention to particularly uh, verse 14, where it says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. You see, this section of Scripture that we just read in Romans 12 is very similar. It has the same uh, teaching theme as Jesus did in a section in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. Let, let me read it to you. This is Jesus speaking. Matthew 5, 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be son, sorry, so that so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and send rains, rains on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You see, there's a call of God on our lives to carry a different spirit, to have a different response to that of the world when we're faced with persecution, evil put downs or hostility. Now, I want to just define persecution uh, for a moment and put it in a little bit of um, historical and you know, global context. You see, at the time of writing, the church in Rome, uh, as Paul was writing to them, it was, it was growing, there was growing hostility towards this new religious sect uh, called, called Christ, eventually became you know, us, called Christians. So much so that just 30 years after this was written, uh, the Emperor Nero began what's called uh, the Great Persecution, uh, where you know, all the historic things that you hear of Christians being thrown into the lions and burning alive and all that, all that sort of stuff, um, for them right there, the cost of following Jesus was the cost of their lives, was the cost of the lives of their family. Fast forward to today, and then many parts of the world, maybe not quite as widespread, but this is still true. Uh, Open Doors, which is an amazing organisation that does many things to uh, support uh, persecuted Christians around the world. One of the things it does is it also reports on persecution. And so I was reading um, an article on their website this week about a safe house network throughout the Middle East, which supports, um, which provides support and safety to those under heavy persecution. There are stories of recent converts to Christianity receiving letters such as, if you do not revert back from Christianity, you will be destined to death, along with bullets being sent to them in the mail. Now, that's some global and historic context when it comes to persecution. Now, now we may face challenge or hostility for our faith. We may be left out of things at work or maybe ridiculed at school because of our beliefs. Or, or, or maybe there's, there's pressure in your workplace to be part of certain initiatives that, that promote and support you know, beliefs that are, that are at odds with the gospel. But we don't face persecution like some areas of the world and like Christians have historically. Now, I'm not saying that the things that we face aren't important and they aren't challenging for us, but it's important to keep, when we think about persecution, it's important to keep that global and historic perspective when it comes to persecution. It's, it's, it's a great reminder to ourselves that we should be supporting and praying for our fellow, fellow Christian brothers and sisters that face that type of extreme pressure. 
So in saying all that, let's come back to Romans 12 and Matthew 5. I believe what God is saying through these passages is not that we become doormats to whatever is going on in the world. We, we, we should be informed, you know, particularly around areas of policy, uh, governance, legislation. Encourage you sign up to, you know, receive emails from Australian Christian Lobby and, you know, stay, stay uh, relevant with all that, pray for our country, make petition, do all of those things. But what we're going to discover today is that God has called us to a different response when it comes to people, to carry a different spirit. The Bible says in Matthew, this isn't on the screen, but it says that we're to be uh, wise as serpents, but gentle as doves, to not respond to evil with evil, to not respond to hate with hate, to bless and not curse, and to carry, as a previous pastor of mine always called it, to carry an opposite spirit. We're called to carry an opposite spirit when we face challenging things. Martin Luther King said it like this, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. And so how do we live faithful to Scripture and God's calling, even when there may be people that could be against us? Number one is what we've got to do, we've got to understand the power of your words. Number one, understand the power of your words. Probably the scariest verse, I think, in the whole Bible is in uh, Matthew chapter 12. This is verse uh, 36. It's Jesus speaking. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Holy dooly. I don't know if that scares you, but it freaks me out. Now, we, we, we know that in Christ, we're new creation. We know that as we you know, confess our sins to God, He's faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. But also, Every careless word. I don't, I don't think, I think some of you missed it. Every, every careless, careless word that we speak. God says that we're responsible for those. That, that, that we need to understand the power of our words. You see, when Romans says bless and do not curse, it's predominantly referring to our words and our declaration, what we speak over our own lives and over the lives of others. You see, when we talk about blessing, the first blessing that is found in the Bible is right at the start in Genesis chapter 1. As God blesses the animals He creates, He blesses them saying, and this blessing is spoken, He blesses them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's the first time blessing exists in the Bible, right in chapter 1. Then, just a few verses down later, um, there's a special blessing for mankind, similar to the animals, but has another level to it. It says, be fruitful and multiply, uh, fill the earth, subdue it and have dominion. That's, that's the blessing that God gave mankind to, to be stewards, to be carers of His creation, not to, uh, not to wreck it and just, you know, for our own selfish gain, but to be good stewards of the creation that God has given us. So, so originally, blessing is about God, the author of life, putting life into motion. Blessing is about flourishing, flourishing as human beings and being in that life connection with God. Then, just a couple of chapters later in Genesis, cursing comes with Adam and Eve. They, they sin, they disobey God, they eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, saying, God, we know better, let us do it our way. Excuse me for a second. 
um, they, they, they say, God, we know better, let us do it our way. And that's been our challenge ever since. That's, that's been our challenge ever since. God, we, 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 we do it better than you. We, we know better than you. So cursing comes when humanity is handed over to itself. And we see that in Genesis. You can read it all later. That, that, that God says the ground is cursed in Genesis 3 because Adam and Eve tried to do it their own way. So I say all that to tell you this. So when we curse people, even our enemies, it's not about, you know, dressing up in a black witch's hat and getting like a, you know, big nose and saying bubble, bubble, toil and trouble or anything, anything like that. It's not, not about that. What, what it is about is it's that when we curse people, we say things like, oh, well, I hope they get what they deserve. Ah, oh, that person's such a so-and-so. They'll always be like that. They'll, 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 they'll never change. What we do is we write them out of God's plan and think that they are beyond redemption, beyond saving. We suddenly become their judge, their jury, and their executioner. Two seconds. Thank you. Their judge, jury, and executioner. And as we are doing that, we forget that we too do not deserve to be part of God's plan. You didn't work yourself into salvation. We're saved by grace, through faith, not of works, so that we can't boast. That's the call of God over our lives. So if that's cursing, okay, what is what is blessing? What, what, what is blessing our enemies? It's declaring God's plan and purpose over their lives. I know when we hear the word blessing sometimes, maybe our minds can go to, you know, prosperity preachers in the US, for example, you know, flying around on jets and like, if you send $10,000 to my ministry, I'll send you a real piece of the cross that our archaeologists dug up, you know, and all that, all, all that sort of mumbo jumbo stuff that unfortunately happens. But, but blessing is not praying for millions of dollars to fill people's lives and that someone would give, gift them a Maserati or something, something like that. Blessing is simply speaking God's life over people. It's praying with all humility for that boss or that employee that at work that's just out to get you for whatever reason. It's praying over their lives. God, would you just move in their life? Would you reveal yourself to them. I pray for the grace of God to come and to fill their hearts and to fill their lives. And so when we talk about blessing and not cursing, here's a challenge for you and for myself as I was preparing this this week. Who is an enemy of yours? Now, you might think that's strong language and you might think, well, I don't know if I have any. Actually, in fact, as I thought about this, because I never want to be a, someone that preaches the word but never applies it myself. As I, as I thought about this on Tuesday, as I was preparing, I'm like, I don't think, you, you know, don't burst my bubble. I don't think I actually have any enemies. I don't think I have people. You might be like, I know. But no, 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 no. I don't think I have anyone who's actually directly after me. But you know what I do have is I do have people that have hurt me. I do have people that have let me down. I do have people that have said one thing but done another or, you know, these, 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 these things happen. So, so here's a challenge this week. Would you specifically pray for God's blessing over someone's life, over an enemy or someone who's let you down, someone who hasn't followed through on what was happening or whatever, whatever it is for you? Would you pray God's blessing 
over their lives. So don't pray those manipulative prayers like, God, show them the error of their ways. And Lord, you know, none of those things. God, show them how they're supposed to apologise to me right now in Jesus. You know, in Jesus' name, none of that. Just God, would you bless them? Would you fill their life with your spirit? Whatever situation they're in this week, God, would you show your grace and your mercy towards them like you have showed your grace and your mercy towards me? Because when we do that, what it does is it removes us from God's position because He is the King of Kings and it places us, which is where we're supposed to be. And that is declaring not our own kingdom, but God's kingdom. Your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What blessing does is we get out of the judgment seat and we get and we leave that to God and we get into the place where we say, God, just declare your life on them. You know what, God? If you want to save the most annoying, irritating person at work, go for it. And if you want to bring them into this church, go for it. If you want to bring them into the, my life group, uh, okay, go for it. You know, just whatever it is, God, it's bigger than me. I will bless them in Jesus' name. I will bless them. I will declare the life, your life-giving spirit will fill them. You see, this understanding, the understanding of the power of our words flows into the second point. So number one, understand the power of your words. And number two, understand that God is judge. Romans 12, 19 and 21, I'll just read this portion again. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, when we try and pay back our enemies, what we do is we exaggerate our own goodness, we exaggerate our own justice, we exaggerate our own mercy. At the same time, we underestimate God's goodness, we underestimate God's justice, and we underestimate our mercy. You see, we try to take control of it ourselves, and once again, once again, we're back in the Garden of Eden with a fruit and a snake, saying, God, I think I know better than you. I remember a couple of years ago, um, uh, Planet Shakers, which is a great church in Melbourne, do conferences all over Australia. Um, they, they brought out a new album, and one of, the, one of the praise songs, the opening line was, um, you are God and I am not. And I remember talking with some... Um, uh, musician friends in Sydney, and maybe it was like the Victorian New South Wales, like hatred or whatever, but, um, you know, or maybe worship musicians are sometimes just a little bit cynical, you know, whatever, but they, they were like, ah, have you heard this song? Like, how dumb is that opening line? Like, you are God, I am not like, great, yeah, theologian, go Planet Shakers, you know, just, you know, joking around, of course, you know, just all of that, but you know what I've thought about it? Uh, just recently, I've been remembering that line from that song and just just thinking the more I've been thinking about it, I'm like actually actually that's the temptation that we all face God I know better God my timing is right my sense of justice is right God why aren't you doing this you know why haven't you smited that person yet does anyone remember the Jim Carrey movie um, Bruce Almighty you know smite me almighty smiter yeah, you can watch that on some... Someone tell me what streaming service that's on for free so we can watch it after. But, you know, when, when, when Romans says, beloved, never avenge yourselves, leave it to God, Paul is saying, trust me, 
God knows better. His justice is perfect. Why don't you just leave it to Him? Here's your responsibility. This is, um, yeah, Romans 12. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. You see, we're called to carry an opposite spirit. Not, notice it's not just in our words, blessing and cursing, but now it's in our actions. Back to Matthew 5, what did Jesus say? For if you love others, sorry, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Let's love, not, let's let our love not just show through our speech, but let it show through our actions as well. Let's remember that we are not judge, that God is judge. And see, as, as we remember that, it places God in His right position and it places us in our right position, that God, we are submitting our lives to you. That it's your kingdom, it's not my kingdom, it's your kingdom come. It's your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'd love to, maybe Luke can come as I start to wrap up. I'd love to finish with this uh, story. It's a little bit long, I'm going to read it, but trust me, it's, it's powerful. This, this story from Corey Temboon, who you may or may not know, she was a... Um, Dutch Christian that was arrested by the Nazis and placed in a concentration camp for hiding Jewish people during the war. Um, she, says, she says this, I'll, I'll, I'll read this from her. She says, it was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavyset man in a grey overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the doors at the rear. It was 1947 and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed out land and I gave them my favourite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, in silence collected their wraps, in silence left the room. And that's where I saw him, working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the centre of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fräulein. How good it is to know that as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How would he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather cap swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. 
You mentioned, you mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard in there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time he went on, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I whose sins had been, had every day to be forgiven and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been, um, it could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult, difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland um, for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. As I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then His healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. And having thus learned to forgive in this hardest of situations, I never again had difficulty in forgiving. I wish I could say it. I wish I could say that merciful and charitable thoughts just naturally flowed from me from then on, but they didn't. If there's one thing I've learned at 80 years of age, it's that I can't store up good feelings and behaviour, but only draw, from only draw them fresh from God each day. Maybe I'm glad it's that way for every time I go to Him, He teaches me something else. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, I'd read that, I'd sort of known the story, read that actually in the parents' room because that's got the best air conditioning and Tuesday was hot. As I was, as I was preparing, you know, getting a few specks in my eyes, I'm not crying, you're crying, you know, but I was by myself. Just there's something powerful about blessing and not cursing, about forgiveness, about understanding that ultimately God is judge and that our responsibility is to trust Him. You see, we're called to bless people, to speak God's purpose and life over their, heart, over their hearts and their lives. God is the, is the ultimate judge, not us. And maybe you're here this morning and maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. Can I say that God forgives as we come with humility, of heart to Him and say, God, I am a sinner. 
I have failed. I have tried to do life my own way. But God, You are the one who holds the keys of eternity. You are the one who holds the world in Your hands. As we do that, God comes and He fills us with His forgiveness, fills us with His love, fills us with His mercy. So this morning as every head is bowed and eyes closed,